But if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Coolangatta. And we're actually in a four, we're in the fourth week of our sermon series called Encounters with Jesus. And I've loved this series because we focus on real people having real encounters with Jesus. And, and Jesus, through the Gospels, we see these stories of these lives being transformed. And the reason why I love it so much is because I can actually personally relate to, to how each person is feeling or what they're coming to Jesus with in these encounters. And the question for me is, what's my response to the truth that's revealed through each of these encounters? And therefore, how will I actually live out my Christian life in light of that? You know, I actually think today's scripture is one of the most personally challenging portions of scripture for us as disciples. So strap yourselves in. This is not going to be easy. We're actually going to be challenged personally today to respond to what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 9. So we start with Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, this is Jesus, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Very interesting to say the least, amen? Very interesting. But before we get into it, I'd love to pray. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for these real encounters that people had with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us understand this text, help us understand what you're actually calling us to. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach this word with truth, with grace, but also with love, God. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, many of you know that I used to work on the wharves. I used to be a wharfie. I used to be a crane driver. For about 16 years, I worked on the wharves. And I moved up to Queensland, and uh, I worked eight years on the wharves at Brisbane, but I lived at Burley Head. So for eight years, I would travel back and forth every day to Brisbane. It would take about an hour and a half to get there, and sometimes it would take two and a half hours to get home because of the crazy traffic. Who knows how bad the traffic is coming back from Brisbane? It's an absolute nightmare. It just weighs you down, right? Like every day, you're just sitting in this traffic. It's so frustrating. And I remember when I decided to leave that and go into something different, I said to my wife, Georgie, I said, I'm never going to work in Brisbane ever again. I'm never going to drive up there. Because I understand how much time it actually takes away from the family and, and time you can spend with them. Georgie felt like a single mother most of the time because I was working shift work and I was never at home. So I said, that's not going to happen ever again. Then a little while later, started in Bible college and I started in ministry. My first full-time job in ministry was in chaplaincy, was in aged care, was in palliative care. And I remember when I went for the interview, it was an absolute nightmare. I had a shocker. I'm like, this has gone down really bad. There's no way I'm getting this job. And a miracle happened, and they rang me up and said, we're offering you the job. And I was shocked, and I told Stu, our lead minister at the time, I said, they've offered me this job. He goes, mate, that's a miracle. <laughs> he said, take it. <laughs> but they offered me the job. The job was in Brisbane. It was two aged care facilities in Brisbane. And I'm like, 
oh my goodness, so I'm praying. I'm like, God, why do I have to go to Brisbane? Aren't there Christians in Brisbane? Like, surely there's Christians up there. Why can't you ask one of them to do it? Like, I'm on the Gold Coast. Why are you asking me to go that far? I'm just whinging as I normally do in prayer. And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, is that too far to go for me? And it really rocked me. It was this like real hardcore statement. Is that too far, Scott? And my response was, well, absolutely not. Nowhere is too far for you, God. And so there was this moment where God directly challenged me. And this challenge of the Holy Spirit asked me, was this too far? And this can seem very direct and a bit insensitive to my family. And this portion of Scripture that we see here in Luke 9 can seem extremely insensitive and make Jesus look very unloving and unreasonable in his responses, right? But Jesus says it. So we as disciples need to know why Jesus is challenging these things to truly understand what's going on here. And I think the purpose of Jesus' response here in Luke 9 was to reveal the true nature of the heart of these men. There seems to be three things that are highlighted here in this scripture, and Jesus is calling them out. The first one I want to look at, I think, is comfort. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What we do, we have a guy here that in the Gospel of Matthew gives us the same account, but tells us he's a teacher of the law. And he's saying to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. This is really interesting because a teacher of the law was either a scribe or a Pharisee. You see, scribes had knowledge of all the ins and outs of the law. And they could draft legal documents like marriage or divorce. And they knew the Jewish law inside out. And the Pharisees are the ones who observe the law. And they would teach the law. And they'd keep everyone accountable to it. And we need to know that many scribes and Pharisees were the same thing. Some scribes were Pharisees at the same time in the first century because they just loved the law. So now we know we have a man who knew the law and taught the law, but what he does is he recognizes that Jesus is far superior to him in understanding. And he obviously believed Jesus and agreed with his teaching about the law and about who God is. And so he's actually keen to follow him as a disciple, to become his disciple. And we need to understand the first century, the difference between rabbis and disciples. Rabbis in the first century had quite a prominent position in society. They were looked up to. They were looked up to be spiritual people that, that people would love to hang out with, that would invite them over for dinner, that would have them over at their house. They were very comfortable in their society because they were held up with such high regard. And the disciples, if you had a great rabbi teacher that was famous throughout the land, you'd want to be his disciple. Because if you were one of the disciples or one of the good rabbis, then your life was going to set up. You were going to be set up for life. You were going to be comfortable because everyone would want to know and love you and look after you. Because they had privilege, they had position, and they had comfort. But this man's probably thinking, following Jesus was a good life decision for greatness and his position in society, right? Which would actually bring a certain level of comfort that the majority of the people would not have. But Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing that this man thinks it would be good for his future, tells him the true cost of following him. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is like, yes, I am a rabbi. I am a teacher. But guess what? I'm rejected by society. No one's inviting me over to their house 
to eat. No one's invited me over to sleep. I'm sleeping outside the city most of the time. If you follow me, you're going to have to actually give away some of this comfort. You're going to have to give away status and position because if I'm your teacher and they hate me, guess what? They're actually going to hate you too. Following me is not what you're thinking. Following me is not comfortable. You see, Jesus' response paints this picture that's quite different than what he thought true discipleship was. And that entails a willingness to to give away all this stuff, just as Jesus did. In other words, comfort is no guarantee, quite the contrary. It's the same with us today. Following Jesus is not easy or comfortable, right? Society thinks we're crazy. They think we're very judgmental. They think we're old-fashioned in our thinking and our moral beliefs. They think we're actually delusional to believe in, in a man named Jesus. And in our culture today, we're not accepted as a fair and rational belief system. And our willingness to follow Jesus is actually affected of how we feel or how we're perceived in our circles and how people see us and we're affected by that. Because we think things like, well, you know what, I follow Jesus, but it's too uncomfortable to talk about Jesus to people. Well, I would pray for people, but it's really awkward asking, so I just don't. I would tell people at work I'm a Christian, but I know they'll treat me different. And we put our comfort in front of following Jesus and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is pointing out here to this man and to us, if you follow me, expect to be uncomfortable. Actually expect the journey to be hard and difficult. And there'll be times when you feel like that there's no one to turn to, that there's no one on your side. There'll be times when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to to love someone, to serve them, to give to them, or to pray for them, or to proclaim the gospel to people. But all these things, they're an attack on our comfort because we might feel uncomfortable and we just want an easy journey of faith, right? But Jesus is challenging this man. He's challenging us saying, hey, this will be uncomfortable. It actually will take sacrifice and effort. Are you still in? And one of the reasons people refuse to follow Jesus is because it's uncomfortable, right? We want life to be easy. Church, do we know that comfort breeds apathy? Do you know when we want to be comfortable, we won't actually step out and serve. We actually won't step out and be part of the community. We won't actually step out in faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know what? Satan loves apathetic Christians because they do nothing. Because they want to hold on to the things that make life easy. Comfortable, apathetic Christians are ineffective for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And the reality is, Satan's not threatened by apathetic Christians. He's just not. People who are just trying to be comfortable are no threat to him. Francis Chan says, you find the things that you let go of while following Jesus were the things that were going to destroy you in the end. There's things that that we try and hold on to that are things that are actually destroying us. Now, is comfort bad? No, comfort's not bad. I take my favorite pillow everywhere I go. Seriously, it doesn't matter where we're traveling. I squeeze it up and I stick it in my bag because I want to be comfortable. I need my good pillow, right? Comfort isn't bad. We don't have to go looking for uncomfortable situations, but is comfort on the throne where Jesus should be sitting? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. The next thing we see, I think, is security. He said to another man, this is Jesus, hey, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This one seems like the most unloving response Jesus makes in the Gospels. And to be honest, 
it bothered me greatly when I first read the scriptures. When I first got saved years and years ago and I was reading that, I was like, that is harsh, like really harsh. This guy's like, my dad has just passed away. Let me go honor him. Let me bury him and I will come back. I will follow you. Like think about it. The man would have been grieving, right? He would have been hurting at the loss of his dad. He would have been wanting to support his family in this time of need. And Jesus totally seems to disregard this man's grief and says, no, you can't do that. Go and follow me. Don't bury your father. That'd be like my father passing away and me ringing up work and going, hey, my father's just passed away. I need to take a day off. I need to go and see the family, help out with the funeral arrangements. I need some compassionate leave. And they just go, nah, you're not getting it. Be here nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Could you imagine how that would feel? He'd be like, really? You, really? You'd really reconsider whether you'd work for that employer again, right? You would lose a lot of respect and a lot of trust. It'd be a horrible experience. But that's actually not what's going on here. You see, when this man said, first let me go bury my father, didn't mean his father was dead already. You need to understand in the Jewish culture that the kids would hang around until they received their inheritance. So when he makes this claim, he's like, no, no, first let me, let me go bury my father. Let me stay here until my father dies because then I'll receive all the inheritance off him. And if he was the firstborn, he would actually receive double portion. So if there was three of them, he'd get 50% of the inheritance. The other two would get 25% each. So he's like, no, 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 I've got this big payout coming. Let me stay here. Once I get that, I'll actually follow you. What he's asking Jesus is, can I stay here until I secure my future, till I secure my, my inheritance, till I'm financially set up, till I've got control of all the property and, and I can make people work in the fields for me and I'll have the security I need that I need to, to have, that I feel I need to have to, to actually follow you without any stress. Because if I follow you and it doesn't work out with you, I'll have something to come back to, right? I'll have my wealth. And Jesus says this radical response. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. What Jesus is saying here is that if all of life is in our possessions, then we're actually dead inside. If we find security and money and possessions, then you find that in the end, you, it won't actually save you. You can't take it with you. And we suffer from this mindset in the West more than most other cultures because we're a consumer culture. We're actually sold out for financial security above everything else. We're sold out to, for pursuing greater position or greater wealth or, or more goods because it's a status symbol in our society if we have all these things, right? But this ideology stops us from, from following Jesus fully. And we say things like, well, when I get the security of a job, then I'll follow Jesus. Or when I pay off my house, then I'll give financially to the mission of God through the church. Or when I retire, then I'll have time to serve him. Do we know when we put when before anything? It's actually a never-ending goalpost that just keeps moving. If that's our starting position of when, it's being put before something else. And we do. We say, when I get a full-time job, then I'll give to the mission of God. And then we get the full-time job and we go, oh, actually, I need a car. So when I get a car, then I'll give. Or then we go, no, but now I've got a car, but I need a house. So when I get a house, then. Or then we go, but I need to set up for my retirement. So when I'm fully set up and secure in my time... If we just keep going, when, 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 my question is, when is it going to happen? And we need to be honest with ourselves. Our desires for more, they're never ending. 
And we are so anxious today about our security in all areas of life, especially financially, that we'll do everything we can to hold on to it at all costs. We know that the Bible is clear from start to finish. We are called to be generous with our time, with our talents, and yes, with our money. And if we're holding any of these things back from God because of fear or holding back because we feel that we need to have security, like this guy in Luke 9, then Jesus is actually calling us out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Be not anxious. Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide the security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time, they are the very source of all anxiety. We can say an amen to that. It's like, I want to set myself up. I'll have all these investment properties and they're just piling down on you and you've got to pay all this money and stuff's going wrong. A lot of the time, we actually put ourselves in anxious positions because we want all this stuff, but we don't have the means for it. Now, is financial security bad? Absolutely not. Is it bad to have lots of money? Absolutely not. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying is if the pursuit of that is greater than the pursuit of Jesus, the question is, who's on the throne? Is it our security or is it Jesus? The next thing I believe we see is distraction. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replies, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, we just see a reasonable request, right, from this person that says, hey, I just want to go back and say goodbye to my family. It's not a bad thing, right? Like if Jesus was uh, like cruising the streets of Cooley, teaching and preaching, and I'm there and he's like, Scott, follow me. I'm like, all right, let's go. This is awesome. And I just take off with him. Hopefully after a while, my wife would be like, where's my husband? Like he's just disappeared. You would hope, right? You would, right? Don't know? Yeah, fair enough. She's like, yes, he's gone finally. But you would hope, right, someone would come looking for me if it's not my wife. It'd be really weird for me not to say goodbye to my family. So is it bad to ask? No, it isn't bad. But again, what we see in Jesus' response is the true nature of this man's heart. Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. You understand, in the time when they were plowing the fields, you had to be fully focused in what you were doing. If you wanted to plow a straight line, they would plow straight lines down the field. And if you looked any other way or got distracted, you would just be plowing odd lines down the field. And it's really hard to reap when there's like odd lines everywhere. And so what he's saying is this actually requires concentration. It requires looking forward. It requires not being distracted to follow me. And it's interesting we all know what this is like because we've all texted while driving, right? Put your hand up. Who's bold enough? Yes, there's a couple of you. Come on. Who te- People have texted while they're driving, right? Okay, you haven't texted while you're driving. You looked at your phone at least when a little thing goes bing, right? You see it, right? What happens when you're distracted while driving? What happens when you're either trying to text or you're looking at the text and you just want to have a quick scroll to find out who it was? You're not looking at the road. And people, this is the issue for a lot of crashes today in our society because people aren't looking and bang, they hit something. They hit another car or they hit a curb. What if Jesus is, we're meant to be following Jesus. Jesus goes, hey, follow me in the car. And we're like, cool. And we're following Jesus. Then we see that Facebook notification come up. I'm like, oh, I just got to check it. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And we look up and he's just gone. We're like, hang on, did he turn left? Did he turn right? Where did he go? Because we're so distracted by things in our life, we, we, we end up losing track of where he is. 
And there are lots of distractions in our life. It can be our career. It can be wealth. It can be our family. It can be the culture around us. It can be our pleasures. It can be things like Netflix or social media. And all these things, they've become priorities and therefore become distractions from following Jesus and actually spending time with Him. Also, if we're looking back on our old life, that's an issue too. It's like if I'm standing here, I'm like, oh, you know what? Back before I got saved, I could do all that stuff and not get convicted. Man, maybe it's better not being saved. You know, when I was back there, that was an issue. I could get into that. Oh, like, are we looking back and thinking it's better? Jesus says, if you're thinking that, then we're actually not fit to carry out kingdom work. Jesus is calling us out and saying, if you're distracted or looking back, think life's better than he can't actually use you because you're not following him. So have you got priorities or distractions that actually cause you to not follow Jesus? Practically, what do we need to do? What do we need to reduce some of these distractions in life? You know, I took all social media off my phone because I recognized when I was not, like when I was doing nothing, or if I was sitting at a, a doctor's surgery, or if I was just down the beach and I had nothing, I'd just pull my phone out and be going through it consistently. And I'm missing what God's doing. Maybe God wanted me to talk to someone. God's working in and through the world, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just stuck to the screen. You know what distractions are and what the issues are for you. And if you say you don't, you're living in denial, and you're refusing to humbly reflect to reduce those distractions in your life which actually truly reveal the nature of our heart. Timothy Keller says, Jesus says, I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look weak by comparison. Now, is devotion to family bad? Absolutely not. We are called to love and serve our family. It would be right for me to tell my wife where I'm going. But this is not the heart of the reason why Jesus calls this guy out. So are there priorities or distractions in your life sitting on the throne where Jesus should be sitting? You see, in all three cases, the true nature of these people's hearts was revealed in their excuse and in Jesus' response. And here's the thing, we don't actually know if they responded to the revealing of their hearts in repentance and obedience to the call to follow Jesus or not, or whether they rejected him. Were they offended like we are because the true nature of our heart was revealed? that they realized that the earthly things were put before Jesus. You see, the point of the portion of this scripture is not to know the outcome of the three guys so that we can actually point the finger in judgment and go, oh, look at these idiots. That's not what it's about. This portion of scripture is said to be a mirror to our heart, that we would hold it up, that we would see what is actually stopping us, what are the earthly things that are stopping us from following Jesus. So which of these three things are an issue or a barrier that needs to be addressed in us we need to ask ourselves that if we're true disciples of Jesus. Because this portion of Scripture was written directly to you and to me, and it actually asks us to individually respond, and it leaves no room for us to look at it as a story of insignificance or a story of someone else's problems. It's actually a direct challenge to all who claim to be followers of Jesus. So what will your response be to Jesus' challenge? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the call goes forth to, to follow... And it is at once followed by the response of obedience. The response of the disciple is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. So and you can sit there and claim that you know Jesus all you like, but he says, 
faith will be walked out in obedience through following him, through following his teachings. So we're only faced with two responses. Follow Jesus in faithful obedience or don't follow him. And we see this actually play out, this choice in John chapter 6. Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching the Jews, he's teaching all the people around him. And he says, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, talking about himself, which anyone can eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. My bread is, the, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? He's saying, I'm God. I've actually come down from heaven to reveal truth to you. Hey, your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. There is bread on this earth that will keep you alive on this earth. But I come down as heavenly bread, that whoever eats of me will have eternal life. Not only in this life will I give you life, but I'll give you eternal life. It's the first moment where we actually see Jesus talking about communion, what we actually celebrate as a family. Eat, his, eat, the, bread, eat the bread and drink of the blood of the covenant. And they're like, this is too hard. Their response is, this is weird. What's he talking about? And in verse 60, he says, On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He's saying, What if you see me? I've come down from heaven. If I ascended back to my throne, what if you witness that? He says, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Their response is, this is too hard, right? This is too hard to understand. We're just going to brush it. Do we do that sometimes like with Luke 9 and just go, oh, too hard? There's no humility in asking Jesus. They could have come to him and said, what do you mean by all that? Where's the humility of them wanting to understand and learn? And he actually calls them out. He goes, does this offend you? Does it offend you that I'm saying I'm the bread of life? Because he, what he's doing, he's bringing spiritual truth here. Not earthly truth, but a spiritual truth of our soul. And unfortunately, there were some that didn't believe. And what's the result of their unbelief? Well, we find it in verse 66. It says, From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Here's the point of decision and they chose not to follow Jesus and just walk away. It was just too hard. His teaching was too much for them. He was asking them to sacrifice way too much. David Platt says, The road that leads to heaven is risky, lonely, and costly in this world. And few are willing to pay the price. Following Jesus involves losing your life and finding a new life in Him. And some of the disciples in this moment, they, they count the cost and it was actually too high. So they walk away from life. They walk away from truth. They walk away from God in the flesh. Do you feel like Jesus is asking too much of you? Because the next verse is way more, way more confronting than what just happened here. Why? Because Jesus actually turns to the 12 disciples, the 12 guys that he handpicked to be with him, and he fully confronts them. These are the disciples that left everything to follow him. They'd left their comfort. They'd left their families. They'd left their career. They'd left their jobs. They left all their security. And Jesus turns to them and goes, you do not want to leave too, do you? He brings this challenge to the 12. 
Notice that Jesus doesn't chase those ones that are leaving. He doesn't run up to them and beg them and go, whoa, whoa, stay, wait, wait, let me explain what I said. He's just like, okay. Any of you want to go too? Do you guys want to go? Do you want to follow him? Jesus is saying, now that you know the extent of the cost to follow me, is laying all these things down worth it? Do you want to go with them or do you want to stay with me? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's like, I don't care about the things of the world. I've come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God, that you are God in the flesh. Peter declares there's nothing in this world worth more than knowing Jesus and following the truth. This is the whole reason why Jesus came in the flesh, that we may know the love of God. He came and said, look, I'm going to show you the character and nature of God. I'm going to come in the flesh that you would see how much God loves you. I'm going to take on the sin of the entire world. I'm willing to suffer and dedicate my entire life to redeeming you back to God. I'm going to go to the cross and absorb your sin and for the sin of the entire world for you. This is what I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And if you put your faith and trust in me, you'll receive eternal life. Eternal life with God our Father in loving relationship with him. This is what he offers those that repent. This is why he came to earth. Does the band want to come up? And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus actually promises something to those that actually put their faith and trust in Jesus in Matthew 10. Again, Peter spoke up. He said, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age of homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. I love this verse because he says, true followers of me who put me first will actually have a hundred times more than what you actually have now. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not if you give this much, God will bless you. But I remember when I came to faith, you know, some of our friends that didn't want to talk to me at work. So you do, you, you lose some relationships. Many of you, you have issues with your family because, of your, because you're a Christian. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to know you. So there is a cost. So there were some relationships that walked away from me. But then I came into a community at Rabina where I got saved and I gained hundreds, hundreds of brothers and sisters that love me. Hundreds of brothers and sisters that were willing to come beside me and help me live in relationship with God. I may have lost a few, but I gained a whole much, lot more. There's hundreds of brothers and sisters here that I deeply love with all my heart and they deeply love me. I've gained more than I gave. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, giving was an issue. I lived my whole life, it was all about me, all about spending my money on myself. But again, that was the issue that was actually killing me. And when I started to give, I realized even though I was giving, I was getting so much more in return. I wasn't held or bound by that anymore. I wasn't controlled by that anymore. When I started using my gifts and talents, I was so scared to step out of my comfort zone. But when I did, when I started serving on the Connect team, 
I realized there was so much more coming back to me because I was living in the purpose that God had to me, had for me. But you know what? It's not gonna be easy. Jesus says it all the time, along with persecutions. Look, I know this message has been difficult today. It's not a feel-good sermon where we walk out and like, woo, this is awesome. But the reality is Jesus didn't want it to be. Jesus wanted to challenge them and us. This was meant to be a reality check It's meant to be a real, raw look into the condition of our hearts. You see, to truly grow, we must face the truth. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus is bidding you today, come follow me. Question is, what's your response? What's stopping you from fully following Jesus? What's stopping you from obedient, sacrificial discipleship? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it distraction or is it the cost of all these things? We are all following something. We need to recognize that. We're either following ourselves and our own desires or the ways of the world or we're following Jesus in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but all of these things that Jesus addresses here in Luke 9, they're constant issues for me. They're constantly trying to pull me away from sacrificial obedience to Him. And all these things need to be constantly fought against in my life so that I would follow Jesus as He calls me to. But there is one thing I do know, and that is Jesus is worthy of my devotion, of my continual fight against these worldly temptations, because only in Him, and only in Him have I found true peace for myself. Only in following Jesus have I found my true purpose in life. And church, we need a constant challenge from Scripture and the Holy Spirit and each other to keep plowing that straight line in the face of comfort, security, and distraction. We actually need each other. I need you. We need to support one another and challenge one another and encourage one another in obedience. We need to build faith in each other that we would follow Jesus because following Him is the only way that actually leads to life and life in all its fullness. Will you join me? Will you join me in following Jesus together? Billy Graham says, when we come to Christ, we no longer are the most important person in the world to us, Christ is. Instead of only living for ourselves, we have a higher goal, and that is to live for Jesus. Will you hear His call today and follow Him? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I stand before you, God, struggling with all these different things in my life, but Lord, my desire is to follow you. Lord, I thank you for your conviction on my heart. Lord, forgive me, forgive us when we've not followed you when you've called us. But Lord, I ask that you don't leave us there, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will renew our hearts and our minds that we want to follow you regardless of the cost. Lord, all of these things try and draw us away from plowing that straight line that you call us to plow. So Lord, I would ask that in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you just bring your conviction? Would you highlight in our hearts which one of these things is actually stopping us following you? Lord, would you 
not leave us there, but give us practical ways. What are you calling us to do, Jesus? What are the practical ways you're calling us to put away distraction, to not worry about security, or to step out of our comfort zone? Lord, I pray that you would give us the power through your Holy Spirit to do that, that that we would be your hands and feet in the world, that people would turn through our good works and through our service, through our love, would turn and give you glory. And as we're in this moment of prayer, you might be sitting there and you might never have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're like, wow, that's a big cost. Yeah, it is. There is a cost of following Jesus, but it's nowhere near the cost that he paid on the cross that when we follow Jesus, that's where we actually find life and life in all its fullness. That Jesus has paid the ultimate price and taken away all of your sin, that you would have relationship with Him. And not only that, that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So if you want that, if you want relationship with God, if you want all your sins cast away and done with, God is reaching out today and He's saying, follow me. And the way that you can do that, you can simply just pray this prayer in your heart with me. And just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I ask for your forgiveness from my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose again for me in victory over my sin, in victory over death. And I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit that I would be born again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we all stand? As we worship in these next couple of songs, there are going to be people down the front over on the your right, my left, that would love to pray for you. If there's anything that God highlighted in your heart that you would love prayer for, we would love to pray with you. You see, what happens is we look at people with addictions and we go, they've got problems not realizing we have different addictions. Ones that are a little bit more secret, ones that the society thinks okay. Sometimes we're addicted to a few of these things and, and we actually have a heart to follow Jesus and we need the power of, of His presence, the power of His Holy Spirit to do that. So if you would love to, you can come down the front, we would love to pray for you. If that's too much, ask the person next to you to pray for you. If that's too much, just come and see me after the service. I would love to pray with you, all the other pastors would as well. But as we worship, let's worship because He is worthy of our praise and our glory.